Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deck, and to most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. We are over the moon. Uh, we're like a UFO, you know, in the sky right now. Uh, we're so excited, as always, to hang out with you, the most important part of the show in our weekly listener mail segment. Now, we've been getting tons of amazing correspondence, new leads for new episodes, uh, also replies from people with firsthand experience about things we have discussed in the past. We are going to learn about a uh, <coughs> member's organization. Uh, we are going to have what I think at least is a very compelling theory about uh, about UFOs in the Korean War. And before we do any of that, we are going to talk about two things that go together like peas and carrots, Smurfs and CERN. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I love the Smurfs. Did you guys grow up watching the 80s Smurf cartoons? It yes. weirded me out. It's we it is weird. I, I found it delightful, but it is mega weird. They live in mushrooms. They're tiny blue people, and there's a psychotic mad wizard uh, with a diabolical cat. Yeah, that's always chasing them. Anti-cat propaganda. Yeah, that's true. It's fair, but I think I think his cat's name is something demonic, like. Mephisto or Lucifer or something like that, but maybe I made that. Part I think up. the cat's name was Benjamin Kyle. 
Yeah, that's oh. probably right. Let's see. Gargamel's <laughs> cat. Um, but here's the thing. I de- Azrael. Come on. That is a demon. Isn't Azrael like a demon? Or I like thought some that kind was of... an angel. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, well, but it's like it a depends. demonic. It's a demonic angel. <laughs> it depends on your perspective. Azrael, historically, Angel is of death, baby. Angel of death. Yeah. Uh, or uh, it's present in Islam as well. Yeah, and then again, the you know Gargamel being the the villain of the Smurfs, um, he is he wants to eat them or or make them into magic potions. It's kind of unclear. I think he I think he definitely wants to eat them. He's always talking in the cartoon about how delicious they are and delectable, but they seem kind of scrawny. Frankly, uh, it doesn't seem like they'd make much. You have to eat a whole bunch of them to get much of a meal out of it. But never really would have thought that like particle physics and uh, and uh, and Gargamel, you know, would have gone together. But but here we are uh, with this email from Mortgage Man. Um, he says this, uh, I just listened to the classic episode. Should we be concerned? I couldn't believe the Smurfs named their villain after some special room in use in the 1970s at CERN, the Gargamel bubble chamber. I had to dig a little deeper and found that CERN may have actually named their bubble chamber after the villain. Gargamel dates back to 1959. Uh, How on point since Gargamel was using Smurfs to practice alchemy. Sadly, I dug too deep and learned they are unrelated. Ah, no, that's a bummer. But still, uh, it's M-E-L-L-E in the CERN um, research facility. And Gargamel of the cartoon is M-E-L. But see, here's the point. Not all conspiracies can come true. And then he has a little snippet posted when Gargamel first appeared in La Voulée de Strumpf. The uh, in the episode, yes, the episode The Smurf Napper, published in 1959, in which Gargamel captures a Smurf in order to use as an ingredient for a potion to make gold in accordance with the famed alchemic legend of the Philosopher's Stone. Um, and yes, it's a comic strip uh, called Spirou uh, that appeared in 1959, published by the French uh, publisher Dupuis. Uh, I'm not using a lisp there, D-U-P. P-U-I-S, I imagine that's Dupuis, uh, Dupois, perhaps. Um, anywho, uh, the creator of the Smurfs, by the way, you'll notice at the end of the 80s cartoon, which is what we're probably all familiar with, Peo. It just says created by Peo. Who the hell is this Peo character? Uh, he, in fact, was a Belgian illustrator um, whose name is actually uh, Pierre Colifort. He uh, was born in 1928 and died in December of 1992. Peo. Um, and yeah, Ben, you, you, you clocked it. The Strumpfen. That's what they're known as to this day in Europe. Um, I actually, when I was in Paris a couple of years ago, when I was in the airport coming back getting some European snacks, they have all kinds of Haribo gummies over there that they do not have over here. Uh, and one of them that I picked up was Smurf gummies, but they're, they're not called Smurf gummies. They're called Strumpf gummies, which mm. I love. It's interesting, too. Uh, before we continue with Mortgage Man, I... Ended up in Belgium for a bit, as you guys know. And uh, Belgium, in addition to doing animation horrific museum, things right? around the world, yeah, they have a very, um, a very weird comic book museum. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Super and, interesting sounding. And it's great. Uh, if you're there, there is another um, less extensive and less creepy 
comic book museum right across the street. But if you go, if you go in there, you will see, uh, I, I had no idea about the Smurfs origin before I visited there. And kind of like you, mortgage man, I had no real concept of how old this story was. And it's neat that we're talking about alchemy. Cause I, I don't know. Did so you guys watched the show growing up, right? As children, did yeah. you clock the occult stuff or was it something you realized later? Well, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Man. I definitely thought, yes, that he had a cauldron. He had his sort of like creepy lair, you know, and he had a, a familiar with his cat, Azrael. Um, always obviously getting bungling all his recipes and getting foiled and blowing himself up because that's what cartoon villains do. Uh, they can never win. Um, but the alchemy part, yeah, I, I always thought he more like wanted to eat them um, because they were a delicacy or something. But then now that I'm thinking back on it, he was always making lotions and potions and mystical uh, physics, you know, like the flask of divine physic. Any uh, 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 nerds out there know what I'm talking about. Matt, what was your take on Gargamel growing up? Guys, I honestly can't recall. I know I watched many an episode. I know I can't see Gargamel's face in my head. Snaggletooth, kind of bald monk looking fellow in like a black robe with sort of floppy shoes. I mean, that sounds like somebody who'd be practicing alchemy. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Uh, but, but I think what I'm taking away more right now, guys, is that alchemy, the concept of alchemy played a major role in the media that we would be consuming as we we're growing up. And I feel like that happened more and more. I'm thinking back to other Disney movies, right, where the villain is not not always a witch, but like commonly a, a witch of some sort, somebody who practices magic, right? The uh, the bad person is usually the one trying to find the secrets in through chemistry or, you know, in this case, alchemy or something like that. I, it's weird to me. I wonder why that's always portrayed in a negative light in that those is instances. Point. Yeah, because I, I always think of alchemy as being sort of a, a an intellectual pursuit, not necessarily in service of like the dark arts per se. But you're right, like in films like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and all of that, usually the ones that are meddling with these kinds of things, metal, no pun intended, uh, are doing it for some nefarious purpose. Because it's often power seeking, right? That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, hmm. Man, it makes me want to go back and analyze a lot of the old children's movies that I watched when I was a kid. Oh, dude, yeah. Think of, like, Ursula the Sea Witch. Like, she's, you know, cooking up all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, with, like, demon fumes coming out of her weird sea cauldron. And, like, you know, the, what is it, the dark cauldron? The dark cauldron. The, the black cauldron, rather. That was a super, super dark and spooky Disney film that involved some some of those kinds of things as well. Guys, I'm going to put in the chat really quick some real nightmare fuel for you i just found this out hank azaria who does a lot of voices on the simpsons um he played gargamel in a very poorly received uh i believe uh smurfs live action movie and look at this shit. look at this guy and you also see mixed in here look, look at look at poor hank azaria <laughs> he really went all in yeah, with the buck teeth and the fake nose i mean I bet he made that character very lovable. 
I need to watch the film. It's funny, actually. I shouldn't knock the film. I haven't seen it. This is, I think he was maybe in the sequel because uh, it's called like Gargamel is Defeated or something like that. But I actually have worked in the past uh, and become kind of buddies with someone who is a producer on one of the Smurfs uh, films. So I'm not sure if it was this one or another one. There was like a one that was all CGI, I believe. But anywho, uh, thank you so much, Mortgage Man, for writing it. I mean, I know we're not talking much about CERN here, but there's all episode on that you can check out. Should you be concerned uh we we try to answer that question in the episode Ooh, there is a good connection though yeah oh let's hear it please man so back in i want to say 2018 there was a lot of speculation that cern had stumbled upon old school alchemy and i really do believe we should do a an episode on the philosopher's stone alchemy is endlessly fascinating to me alchemy is to chemistry as as Duplo is to Legos. Unbelievable, we have it. Okay, so you can make diamonds, right? You can pressurize carbon such that you can create, for all intents and purposes, a diamond. You can get past the blood diamond stuff. And the issue that a lot of people have in alchemy and, you know, in banking is that there's not a synthetic process for doing the same thing with gold. But apparently... Back a few years back at CERN, physicists, oh, this was before 2018. This is like 2013. Physicists realized that there was a thin film of material that was forming on the interior of the Large Hadron Collider, and it was made up of precious metals. It was a combination of about 90% gold, 10% platinum, and a very, very small remaining percentage of rare earth metals. Wait, this is like a byproduct? Yeah, it's not on purpose. Whoa, how do you even do that? That's crazy. Well, like, like by a lot accidents? of great discoveries, it happened accidentally. Mm-hmm. Well, you're smashing protons together, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, wouldn't the, the way to synthetically, not synthetically, but to, to make a diamond just to be, wouldn't that be just to compress carbon under great force that you could control or is that not possible no yeah lab lab created what you diamonds do. are yeah. all all the rage yeah <laughs> they really are are, are they are they popular. are they considered as as valuable no. no i didn't think so that's not that it's not the same as cubic zirconium is it no 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 it is a true diamond it's just not from the earth and nobody suffered to create it. <laughs> is that is that where the cachet comes from, guys? Currently, CERN is not making gold. We want to be clear. They found accidentally uh, some byproducts, let's call them, of this particle acceleration, this atom smashing, this proton stripping, and so on. But I, th- I thought it was a neat connection. Um, and really... If you could create gold, it would upend the world economy, right? It's one of those things where if you patented a process for it, and we'll talk about patents later today, you would fall under the National Invention uh, Secrecy or Security Act because you, you would ruin the world. Well, it also depends on how expensive it is to create the gold, Great right? Point. So how much energy do you need? What raw materials do you need? That kind of thing. If it costs if if the process costs less than the market value of gold, then you are dangerous. Yeah, there you go. But again, I guess gold is really important for a lot of places in the world. 
But, you know, if you're like the United States, you just print money. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. Fun stuff. But anyway, Ben, thank you for that uh, for that uh, that kicker there. And uh, thank you, Mortgage Man, for uh, bringing this to our, to our attention and, and allowing us to talk about the Smurfs for 15 minutes. It was a delight. Uh, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and hear some more from you. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we've returned. And quick shout out to our episode on alchemy with Damian Patrick Williams. You can check that exists now on our feeds as a classic and in its original form from 2016. You know he's my boy, right? So I have to say it. Dr. Williams, congratulations, professor. Oh, hey, congrats. I didn't know. Oh, right. I know he was going for it back in the day. Nice work. He went for it and he got it. Well, you know what we're going to go for? A little message from a person calling themselves Summer Frog. Hello, this is Summer Frog calling in from the East Coast. I wanted to let you guys know something that I experienced. I don't know if you've done an episode on it yet, but it could be interesting is this new generation of celebrity-styled cults. I found them when I was living in Los Angeles, 
and I found myself accidentally moving into a Scientology-affiliated cult um, called Upstart. And they had cameras in most of the rooms. We didn't have tenant rights. We were members. They did random searches on all of our stuff. And it was kind of a weird experience. I think it's something you could really look into. They they basically promise people celebrity status if they stay with them. And they find people that are so desperate for that type of celebrity that they basically become dependent on the services they provide, primarily affordable housing in a city as expensive as Los Angeles. Could be interesting. Um, you should look into it. Well, thank you very much, Summer Frog. Okay, guys, uh, before we jump into our initial thoughts, I just want to point out that Summer Frog did use the C word in that message and associated with uh, a mainstream religion that we've talked about before on this show many, many times. Oh, cult. Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought I thought it was I thought it was. Nope. It was it was cult. Just putting it (laughs) for fun. That was that was done by the caller. Just pointing that out right there. If you're out there listening, you know who you are. Um, so I feel like uh, you, Scientology's gotten defanged a little bit. Of late. I know we you made know, we did uh, yeah. we did a whole episode yeah. with one of the main no, guys to def- yeah. <laughs> defect yeah, 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 yeah. it. Uh, but still, this person associated Scientology with cults, or at least a Scientology affiliated cult. We're going to get into that pretty deeply here. But first of all, what do you guys think about this concept of Offering affordable housing as a tactic to bring people into an organization. 100%. Exploit the vulnerable. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> gross. To your point, Ben, yes. Effective. Sure. But how is that any different than like Christian outreach? You know what I mean? Or like, you know, Christian uh, half those Christian affiliated halfway houses or things like that that are considered like, you know, helping the community or food banks and stuff, you know? I mean, again, one person's religion is another person's cult, but it is recruiting tactics. You can't deny it. I mean, of course, you know, there is benevolence involved in that, you know, within the Christian faith and their outreach, but it's also, it's kind of a way of spreading the word and getting people into the flock. It certainly feels like a way to get membership if you're trying to have members of an organization, right? Make an offer to those members that is almost too good to be true. So let's let's talk a little bit more about this company. It is a company, and you can go to their website right now. It is spelled U-P, uh, parentheses, S-T, end parentheses, capital A-R-T. So upst art, right? But it's upstart. It's how you would say it. Multiple locations, man. Yes. Upstart creative. You can go to their website here, which is liveupstart.com to check them out. And it seems really cool on the surface, like really, really cool. If you are a young person, you're trying to get started in a creative field, no matter what that is, you could move to Los Angeles place where there are a lot of other creatives and live for an affordable price and collaborate with a bunch of other people who are trying to do the same thing. Sounds great. Sounds awesome. And they even offer things like shared workplaces for specific creative fields like dance studios, art studios, recording studios. Again, sounds amazing. So we found a video on YouTube that is currently unlisted, but you can find it through a couple of publications. 
It's about Upstart Creative, and it was on Good Day Los Angeles or Good Day LA. I'm going to give you kind of a rundown of what you learn if you watch the video. So if you join Upstart, you become a member, and you start living in one of their places, you will pay $750 a month in rent, which in three years ago, 2020, when this was posted, maybe it was even posted a little before that, that's at least when Upstart posted it to their page, right? In 2020, um, $750 a month for rent in Los Angeles. Doesn't that sound pretty good? Egregiously good. It's unbelievably it's, good. It's yeah, too good to be true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, sir. So then your thought is, well, what do I get for that? Is this like a studio apartment kind of thing? Is it a tiny little apartment that is just a bed and maybe a bath, a bath, half bath or something? Um, mm-hmm. What do you get? Well, you get a bedroom that is basically a bunk bed situation, except not in the way maybe you're thinking. It reminds me a little bit of the pod hotels uh, that we've okay. been talking about. You know, yeah, I love those. I've stayed but with those. think way smaller. Think more like, like a honeycomb. Capsule hotel? Uh, maybe okay. a capsule. Yeah, like Ben. Yes, like the capsule hotel situation where you right. literally have a tiny little where you have one cell in a honeycomb basically that is within a room and there are maybe 10 other people in that room that live with you. Do you have a rack? Like, like, you know, on a sub, they would call it a rack. Maybe it's like a rack. Yeah. It feels like that. Do you have to share a bed? Do you sleep in shifts? No, no, I don't think it's sharing a bed. Maybe, maybe it's that way. I don't know. I couldn't find that information online anywhere. But you probably have to get in before you learn that kind of stuff. I maybe, yeah. You really you sign up, then you figure that out. But in this video, again, that was featured on Good Day Los Angeles, a television show, a local television show, they state that there were ninety-five people, ninety-five people living at one of their locations. Uh, but hey, here's the good thing: you get to cook, clean, and work, and collaborate with everybody else in the house. You're sharing like a kitchen space. If you imagine that with 95 people, yikes, that's that that's horrifying to me. Um, you have to be an artist of some form. So you have to be pursuing some kind of creative career. Again, I listed those things, the studios you get to check out. Um, they had at that time nearly 400 members in Los Angeles. And at that time, they were opening an eighth location. The average age, according to Good Day Los Angeles, was 18 to 25. So these are very young people trying to start their creative careers. Yeah, you can see the testimonials on the uh, website that you brought us to, Matt. You can see testimonials from Silver Lake, Echo Park. Uh, I think the Silver Lake one has someone saying this is the best way for people to transition to living in L.A., given that the cost of living is so much higher than so many other places in the U.S. Uh, that's totally understandable, like, that it would fill a need. This probably does work for some people, at least as as far as we know. According to Summer Frog, there may be more at play. Yeah. Well, it certainly does work for some people, and it could be a perfect situation. You're living out there for, on their website, they have the actual prices uh, updated for 2023. The Silver Lake location is only $715 a month. And for that, you get a photo studio, an office space, a printer, house computer, piano, guitars, outdoor hammocks, and a coin-op laundry. That's interesting. 
Oh, do we you use U.S. currency or do they have like company <laughs> store money? I don't know. I don't know. If you want to live in Echo Park or East Hollywood, that's going to run you $795 a month. And again, it's kind of weird because on their website, like in the Silver Lake location, you've just got a shot of like the living room area. Mm-hmm. In East Hollywood, you got a shot of the living room area. And in the Echo Park location, you've got like partially the front of a house situation but it's there's no way to really tell what you're getting at least from their own website and then you go over to yelp and some of the other places where the company's featured and it's very difficult to know really what you're getting into probably like you said ben until you sign up for that membership then you get the whole deal where's the scientology connection though where is the scientology connection that is a great question ben i can't find it I can't find it except for in reviews on Yelp mm. and, and in what Summer Frog mentioned at, what was it, uh, searching our belongings, basically, and having strict rules about lifestyle, mm. um, which potentially feels like that could be a religion, you know, a religious based organization that when you sign up for membership, you agree not to do certain things, not to have certain substances on your person or keep them in the house, that kind of thing. Mm. Um which, you know, if you sign a legal document for that, I mean, I guess it's legal to search and do those kinds of things. But but again, there's no official connection to any religion that I can find anywhere online. Okay. I w- yeah. I would send everybody over to Spectrum News 1, Spectrum okay. News 1, and search for creative co-living spaces provide affordable homes for aspiring creators. That's one of the only places I can actually find this place written about. Uh, But again, it's hard to know who it's written by because it literally, the byline is blank. So maybe it's just PR. Who knows? Okay. Okay. Well, there's also, um, I'm I'm just looking here. There there are a couple of articles, but a lot of them are, they look like they're leveraging the same talking points. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it looks like there is an Instagram for Upstart that was last updated in January of 2021. Yep. So it's it's hard to know. I found something in CoStar.com. It says Church of Scientology buys Los Angeles creative office property, but I have to sign up for CoStar to read the rest. So I'm sorry, guys. I Don't did do not it. read the rest. Don't do it. <laughs> but I was trying to see. Can you just see... scan that QR code that you're getting on the back of your neck? Oh, yeah. Will maybe I can. <laughs> maybe I can. But I couldn't find any further information about that location. So, again, could be completely unrelated. It probably is. Um, I would recommend everyone head over to Yelp because you can find Upstart Creative Living and just see what people are saying. It's mostly glowing reviews, right? This is a great situation. This helped me out. All the things you would imagine. Mm-hmm. This is a creative mm-hmm. space. I met a bunch of people that helped me you know, along the way. There are others that have really negative things to say that I, I almost hesitate to read on air because it could be because it could be a bad thing. I'll give you this tiny short one that is not indicative of all of the reviews. It is just an example of a potential connection to Scientology. David V says, if you crave Scientology, hard drugs, cockroaches, broken refrigerators, and the occasional rape, then this place is for you. If not, live anywhere else. That, though, is one person posting an opinion on a site that allows you to post your opinion, right? And maybe that opinion is not real. Maybe it is. Who knows? There's no way to verify. 
right? Yeah, you're right, Matt. You're right. And it's the ethical thing to point out what you're saying. This is, uh, to add to that, we do have to acknowledge that Yelp is under fire itself for being kind of crooked and telling people that they have to pay to play if they want good reviews surfaced. So there's that. But also, this hit me. I was looking through the website that you just showed all of us, and do you remember Cheddar? Oh, I do. Yeah. I saw I saw the Cheddar yeah, piece. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so Shout out okay. to Jason Hoke. Oh, boy. Yeah, Cheddar. Um, you know where Cheddar's been relegated to now? The little screen on gas pumps. Hey, oh, nice. That's still eyeballs, yeah. though. You know what I mean? Any show is a show. So uh, uh, cheddar, cheddar, they're trying to say coffin flops, not a show. No, <laughs> they're trying to say coffin flops, it's not a show. Hours a show. Hours. <laughs> they <laughs> think I'm just some dumb hick. They the said that to be at a dinner. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, yeah. Season three, I think you should leave on the way. We're excited. Uh, but yeah, Matt, as you were saying, I was saying stuff. Anyway, we don't have a ton of information about this organization other than it sounds intriguing to me and i'd love to go check out a location i can't fathom how you fit that many people into any location unless it's some kind of sprawling building right Mm -hmm. um when you're when you're having people live in those little tiny pods or whatever it just it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense how it could be very uh comfortable for me and the idea of tenant rights is a really interesting thing because if you're renting Mm -hmm. an apartment you have certain rights and are those negated by joining a membership instead of signing a lease of some sort? I don't know. It's kind of like the, uh, it's kind of like the line with NDAs, right? Um, if someone signs an NDA that precludes them from, or puts them in a situation where they would obstruct justice, then it gets very sticky. Right. And, and also, you know, to, to be absolutely fair, I think we're doing an all right job, Summer Frog. I hope we're doing an all right job, Summer Frog, in uh, being objective and acknowledging when we don't have all the facts. I do want to add one more fact into our alchemical mix here. Scientology is known to use proxies to get at people, right? And to not be public about that. Check out our episodes on things like Narcanan. Narcanan, excuse me. I'm going to give you one more Yelp review just to show you the difference. Mark W. says, I lived at an upstart for a year and a half, and I can easily say it was the best part of my journey in L.A. I moved here with barely any money, no friends, or a place to sleep. When I landed, I found a hostel for a few nights and then saw an ad for upstart on Craigslist. They gave me a tour of a property, and I was sold. This place brings people together from all walks of life that have one thing in common. They put their passion above all else. And again, it goes on. It's very positive. So that's the span that you get. Uh, mm-hmm. for this place who knows we'd love more information if you've got it so please do write to us we'll tell you how to contact us at the end of this episode now we're going to take a quick word from our sponsors and be right back xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have returned with one more message from you for this weekly listener mail segment. Let's end it with a uh, let's end it with a rabbit hole. I love this. We recently received some uh, correspondence from Kevin, and as you know, folks, we read every email we get. Uh, this one, I don't know if you guys saw this one. This one really stood out to me because in our earlier episode on UFOs in the Korean War, uh, one sighting in specific, we walked through some pretty logical questions about what could have happened and how and why. And honestly, I was not expecting us to find an answer. Sometimes you shout into the void, but uh, I'd like to proudly present one of the best theories that at least I have heard. Uh, explaining UFO sightings in the Korean War. So over to Kevin. Kevin, you said, hey, I just listened to the episode and it got me thinking about some research I had done a while back on the topic of Foo Fighters, not the band, the aerial phenomenon. While looking around online, I stumbled onto the concept of the long aerial mine. Here's a conceptual drawing of the basic idea and operation. And this reminds me. Um, this reminds me a bit of the skyhook 
technology just a little bit. If you if you look at this, you can learn more at a website Kevin provided called airwargreatbritain.blogspot.com. Uh, and what you'll see is a fairly simple parachute device. It has a it's meant to carry bombs via via parachute, right? Uh, there's no engine or anything. And the idea is that with something like piano wire, this thing would be high enough to catch airplanes on the wings as they fly by. So they hit that wire and then they activate a mine in the air. It's wow. a pretty simple, brilliant concept. Whoa, it looks incredible, Ben. I'm looking at the uh, schematics here on that website you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, so it's basically two parachutes, right? Yeah. That's incredible. So it, so these are released at 200 foot intervals. Uh, they are going to create a slowly descending barrier in the air. So it's a tripwire basically for a plane. Kevin continues. It got me thinking that maybe what pilots were seeing following their planes, meaning Foo Fighters, were actually aerial mines caught on their wings. And since they only saw them at night, they wouldn't have seen the entirety of the mechanism to understand what they were. With that in mind, I started searching the patent database to see if anything similar had been patented. And lo and behold, I found, deep breath, patent US232-9414A, for an aerial apparatus filed in 1940 by Joseph Z. DeLinda, which was basically a powered version of the long aerial mine. Kevin says, here's an image from the patent illustrating its mechanism. Checked it out. The uh, mechanism is legit. Uh, Kevin also shares the description of the patent. Uh, it also... We also come to find that this inventor, Delinda, had been investigated by the Special Committee on Un-American Activities. Hmm. Uh, and he is being asked about whether he was going to sell battleship plans and military components to the Soviet Union in 1939. And then it appears that this guy was also connected to a French munitions company which is known for manufacturing mortar, uh, and he had a patent licensing deal with them. Look, okay, here's, here's where Kevin is getting. And this is an excellent rabbit hole, man. He says, so with all that in mind, my theory is as follows. The Foo Fighters and possibly the UFOs seen in Korea were versions of Joseph Z. Delinda's aerial mine fitted with lights and acoustic devices. Patents of the design were sold to that French munitions company, Edgar Brandt, by Delinda, which produced the devices prior to or during World War II. They were captured by the Germans during the French occupation and used in desperation toward the end of the war. How they ended up in Korea is anyone's guess. I hope you find this info as interesting as I did. Oh, Kevin, I'm having a cloud atlas moment with you right now, man. Like, doesn't this kind of make sense? It definitely makes sense. It's a theory. It's not proven. It's an excellent connection, I think, to what those pilots were describing, to what would potentially happen if your plane got, you know, caught, if one of these things got stuck in your plane, basically, or on your plane. 
Um, and then this concept of Delinda, who's making a powered version instead of the slowly descending one that a pilot would probably see from fairly far off. It's just kind of floating there. And, and then if you don't notice the long string, right, or the long rope or whatever it is, you just fly right through that sucker. No idea. And you've got something in tow. The weird thing to me is that why didn't why didn't they function with their explosive capabilities? Because the whole point of these things was to have a bomb up top above where the airplane would fly. And then the parachute on the bottom pulls like it gets activated, then pulls the bomb down into the plane's hull so that it would explode and blow up your adversarial airplane. Remember, Ben, those um, balloon bombs that were developed around the same time, I think it was, uh, they're probably parallel versions. I think the ones I'm thinking of were Japanese and they would detonate based on altitude. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just interesting. I don't know, like this kind of like sort of oddball tech that like on paper seems interesting, but clearly we haven't heard a ton about these. They probably were spottily successful. I don't know. What do you think well, you uh, in terms of effectiveness? Them. Right. Same with the balloon bombs. They were always going off course and going to crazy places. It just feels like to me, if this were the the case for all Foo Fighters, uh, Kevin, I, th- I think the story about Foo Fighters would be they attack planes, right? The, ooh, these Foo ooh. Fighters are downing planes all over the place, right? I, my, I watched Which my... Which is not the story, right? Exactly. Yeah. I watched my buddy's plane go down when a Foo Fighter was above it for a minute. Yeah, that's a really good point, because that would mean that if they were these devices, that would mean they had a 100% failure rate as far as the bombs go. And maybe they did. And maybe they did. Maybe that's the reason you don't see them now. Uh, Maybe that's why they're not all around, you know, O'Hare and Hartsfield and LAX or whatever. But But there's also, I think, there's a really, uh, there's the umami of, of theory building, right? Like there's this tasty, compelling thing um, that can explain a couple of aspects here. So, okay, if there was some sort of powered aerial mine parachute contraption over there uh, in the Korean Peninsula when this artillery fire was happening, they were watching that village from afar, then maybe you wouldn't hear or see the explosion amid all all the artillery, right? which also detonates in the air. Um, Maybe you, but he shot it with the M1, right? He he shot it at the M1, which has an effective range of 500 yards. So he's close enough to hit it with a solid ping, right? And then it went nuts. It went haywire, which does sound like a malfunctioning engine taking fire. Um, I don't know. It's just compelling. And, and yeah, it's not 100%, but it's way more certain than saying aliens showed up. Or what was our other one? Time travelers? Yeah. You <laughs> yeah. know, I, I think this is what it is. You're right, Ben. It's a way better explanation for that specific sighting in, during the Korean Ooh. War. But Maybe I'm not over- all Foo Fighters. Yeah, sighting, exactly. So. I, think that, yeah. I think that's what we've got here, at least in, in my mind. Mm-hmm. And this sort of stuff, these thought experiments this tracing of breadcrumbs, it's incredibly important to do this because as as we're learning, uh, I, I don't think any of us knew about these aerial mines, right, before we, before we got your letter, Kevin. Uh, and the technology is so simple. Like, to your point, Noel, it makes sense to use this despite its disadvantages. It's probably mm-hmm. cheap to produce at scale mm-hmm. if it's not a powered version. 
Um, this is also before radar reached its current, uh, you know, its current state. So it'd be way easier to deploy this stuff. I'm like, I'm like 85% sure that Kevin is onto something. I just don't know what. What do you guys think? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Like, I, I think Matt's point is really um, very smart. The idea that if this were the phenomenon that was causing these sightings, they would be associated with planes getting attacked. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I got to say, I also like your idea, though, Ben, that if there's artillery going off everywhere and a plane takes a hit, how do you know it wasn't one of these things and the artillery fire instead? That's a really good point. I think Hmm. the first Foo Fighter that got that name, um, I think they came around in 1944. So this would have been before the Korean War. And looking at the patents that you're mentioning, Kevin, uh, we're talking about late 30s, right? Yeah, well, the patent for the mechanism one, the one that's powered, was 1940. Curiouser and curiouser, right? Uh, <laughs> this, So I believe we should do more digging into little known or obscure technology of ages past, right? Because we know that human civilization will walk away from technology for any number of reasons, right? Um, I'm thinking, of course, of the fact that uh, we can't just hop on a Lockheed jet right now and get to Europe way faster. I'm thinking of the fact that uh, we can't buy a blimp, which is egregious. They're just too expensive. It, There's not an economy fun, of though. scale. Yeah, it wouldn't be fun, though, if there were like blimp dealerships, you know, just for like, <laughs> right. yeah, just, just to go check them out, take them for a test drive around mm-hmm. the block. You guys, I saw, uh, yes. Uh, Guys, I saw a video that I could not identify whether or not it was real or a Mm. deep fake of some sort or CGI. And I got really frustrated because it felt like it wasn't real. But then I also know it aligns with some of this company's uh, goals and what they're doing. It was a video of an Amazon blimp, a big Amazon, and it was deploying drones so it had two flaps beneath it to actually deploy drones. So it looked like a swarm. If you saw it at night, it would look like a large vehicle with some flashing lights that you couldn't really make out the shape of. And then a bunch of small uh, flashing lights descending from it and deploying from it. So hidden lights that don't exist. And then all of a sudden there are a bunch of lights coming out of it and flying around. And it That's also se- interesting. It seems to match up with some UFO sightings that have occurred pretty recently. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of the Akron class. The airships, there were, there were only like two of them, and they kind of sucked. But they, they were airships that were, okay, like in Marvel comic books, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. has their helicarriers, right? This is like a helicarrier, but it's a blimp, and it could deploy these tiny planes from the bottom. I mean, we talked about this on car stuff or something. Uh, it's another piece of technology that humanity walked away from. But more and more, I'm thinking we might be able to explain a lot of these UFO sightings, not all of them, but a lot of them during World War II and the 1950s by looking into these obscure, forgotten technological innovations. All right. Kevin's got us on the case to paraphrase uh <laughs> To paraphrase our pal, Casey Pegram. Yes, indeed. He needs to be paraphrased every now and then because he contains multitudes. Mm-hmm. 
Now, he would say that he doesn't like being paraphrased because he chooses his words with great precision. That's very true. So, Casey, if you are listening, thanks for tuning in, man. Uh, and if you have a lead on obscure technology, if you have some thoughts on CERN, on alchemy, uh, if on the you, Smurfs, on Smurfs, if you have lived in Upstart in Los Angeles, or you have some more insider info, or if you just want to be part of the show, we would love to hear from you. Please hit us up online, on the phone, or in email. Yes, online we can be reached via the handle Conspiracy Stuff, which exists on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, where we have a Facebook group. Here's where it gets crazy. Conspiracy Stuff Show is what we are on Instagram and Tickety Talk. Don't forget, we have a book. It's still there. It's still available. You can find it. It's called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Look for it wherever books are sold. Hey, do you like calling people? Ding, ding. If that's the case and you don't sip social meads, you're more of a uh, ear-to-mouth person, then we have good news for you. All you have to do is dial the handy number on your telephonic device. That's one eight three three stdwytk You'll hear a voice and then you'll hear a beep like so. Beep. That is your cue that you're off to the races. You got three minutes. They're yours. Go nuts. Go wild. Go ham. Uh, go ahead and save that number in case the abyss responds. We would love it if you do the following. Give yourself a street name, a moniker. Give us the name you would use in witness protection. Uh, let us know if we can use your voice and or message on the air. And most importantly, if you have a story with sources like Kevin sent us, uh, if you have photographs, if you have video you want us to look at, why not send us a good old fashioned email? We read every single one we get. All you have to do is drop us a line where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.